listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Guys, uh, I don't know about you, but um, this time of year, I, uh, I absolutely love it. I mean, if you really knew me, you would know that Christmas is way superior than any other holiday. Now, I'm, I'm not hating on the other holidays like Halloween or Easter. Christmas to me, though, just lasts for forever. And uh, honestly, like it's the only time that I ever really want to go to a shopping mall, right? Because they kind of do it up and the stores do things and... Um, I just, I just absolutely freaking love Christmas, okay? Um, I love the sights and the smells. I love the sugar cookies, okay? I love the, uh, I love the Christmas tunes, right? Um, huge fan of Michael Buble's Christmas. Anybody out there? Yeah, okay. A great kind of like uh, new kind of crooner, if you will. Um, settle a bet, though, for me. Um, there's some people who seemingly love pentatonics uh, Christmas. Okay, all right. Um, raise your hand if, if that's one of, like, you, you kind of like it. Okay, all right. I gotta be, I gotta just be really truthful, okay? This is, this is for real. Um, I think it's hideous. Uh, and uh, I'm just kidding. I really don't think it's hideous. I would just rather listen to pentatonics, um, uh, I don't know, on the deathbed or, or just... The only thing that could be worse, in my opinion, is if I'm listening to it while holding cats. I just, uh, obviously I'm being playful. I just never got into it. But I I love so many things about Christmas. Again, the Christmas music, the Christmas movie marathons, all right? Uh, The Christmas goodies. I like to kind of get creative with the Christmas gifts, thinking about things in my family or my close friends. I love being surprised by thoughtful gifts. On and on I could go. I absolutely love everything about Christmas and especially the lights, um, I just, I think Christmas lights are so magical. There's just something that's just so phenomenally magical about them all. That's why, again, if you're like me, you, maybe you grew up and you got in your parents' minivan or, uh, you know, wh- whatever they drove, and you went through some random neighborhood that wasn't even yours, and you oohed and awed at crazy, just weird lights, because there's something about them, right, that we just, we just love it. And I love looking at them. I don't really love hanging them, but I absolutely love just the magicalness that comes from Christmas lights. And what I've kind of gathered throughout the years, I think you have too, lights to kind of Christmas is like uh, pumpkin spice to Thanksgiving, right? You just put them on everything, everywhere, and sometimes and somehow it's socially acceptable, But you can't literally turn uh, like throughout this season and not see Christmas lights on literally everything, right? Like some of you hang them in your dorm rooms or some of you even, I don't even know really how you do this, but you get them going in your car, which like mad props to you, all right? But you you see them on, you know, light posts and and bushes and houses and, and roofs and all over the place. It's just, it's everywhere. But maybe the most important spot that they are is on the old Christmas tree. Now, I don't know if you've heard the story behind the first kind of Christmas lights. Have you heard this? It's super fascinating. All right. Uh, Ryan, will you please tell me more? Of course. Great question. Um, 
Here's the thing. Back in 1882, uh, there was a guy named Edward Johnson, okay? And he strung these red, white, and blue lights kind of all together. Now, he was a friend of a guy you've probably heard of named Thomas Edison, okay? Uh, most notably, kind of the, the guy who's associated with the light bulb, right? So anyways, uh, Edison was the vice president of Edison Illumination Company. And so Johnson has this idea, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to string these lights together together. And I'm going to wrap them around the Christmas tree. And so he's just, it's, it's brilliant. No one's ever done this. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to send out a press release uh, to all the local like papers and news agents and just to let them know that something crazy is about to go down. And so here's the thing, because it was new and a lot of the folks, uh, almost everybody thought, oh, this is just a publicity stunt, except for one reporter. One reporter from the Detroit Post and Tribune, he actually showed up. And you can actually go and find this on the World Wide Web, okay, on the interwebs. And you can look up actually the post that he wrote about the next day. All right, so this reporter from the Detroit Post and Tribune showed up at Edward Johnson's house and he writes about what he saw. Last evening, I walked over beyond Fifth Avenue and called at the residence of Edward H. Johnson. I feel like that's kind of how they talk, you know, like back then. You know, I mean, the language is amazing. Vice president of Edison's Electric Company. There, at the rear of the beautiful parlors, was a large Christmas tree presenting a most picturesque and uncanny aspect. We don't talk like that anymore, right? It's like, oh, that's cool. Look at that. That's awesome. Uh, we don't. Again, the, the language to me is, is amazing. So he goes on. It was brilliantly lighted with many colored globes about as large as an English walnut. There were 80 lights in all encased in these dainty glass eggs and about equally divided between white, red, and blue. The result was a continuous twinkling of dancing colors. Red, white, blue, white, red, blue, all evening. And he concludes by saying, I need not tell you that the scintillating evergreen, great word, you know the last time you've, you've said scintillating, uh, the scintillating evergreen was a pretty sight and one could hardly imagine anything prettier. He was blown away because it was unlike anything he had ever seen. In fact, it was revolutionary. But the crazier thing is, as I kind of looked and did a little research, the craziest thing is that even after it was on this display, it took 40 years for culture to really start enjoying uh, these Christmas lights. All right, it took 40 years for Christmas lights to really root in our culture. It took about 40 years to where Christmas lights were pretty common in the household or kind of strung along, you know, throughout our culture. 40 years. Why is that? Well, many were skeptical. Uh, many weren't ready to move past traditions like using candles instead, which to me, that just seems weird. Uh, many thought, hey, this is probably too expensive. And there was a good contingent of people that they just, they just didn't hear about it. But the ones who saw it, the, the few that saw this happening in 1882, they knew that they were looking at and experiencing something special, something beautiful, something absolutely remarkable. Light had shown its way like never before. Light has come into and interrupted humanity for the first time in such a remarkable fashion. 
And in a similar way, this is essentially the story of Christmas. Now, I would be, um, if I were a betting man, I would bet that a lot of you, you've, you've probably heard the Christmas story along the way. Whether it was read to you, whether you heard it somewhere, maybe at a church or, or somewhere else, pretty common story. Some of you maybe haven't, and so I just want to summarize it. So don't panic. I'm not going to sit up here for the next nine hours and recite word by word the Christmas story. I just want to give you a brief summary just in case you need a little refresher. Now, this, uh, we come on the scene. An angel appears to this young girl named Mary. Oh, good job, class. Gold star. And so here's the angel comes, appears to Mary, gives her some news. Hey, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God All right, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name shall be? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. Always a good choice here. Um, Now, Mary was pledged to marry Joseph, right? Uh, But before they were married, uh, Joseph actually found out that she was pregnant. Hey-o. Little, little, little juicy detail. Uh, But his, uh, he actually had a plan to divorce her quietly, But then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and says this. This is crazy. Maybe you've never heard of it. He appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What is conceived is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, Jesus, who will save the world from their sins. And so Joseph, he decides, hey, I... I'm I'm not going to divorce her. So he doesn't divorce her quietly, but commits himself to her publicly. And so they get married. And soon after that, uh, Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the land, kind of issues a decree for a census. And as most of you know, that when this happens, you have to go back to your hometown to get recorded. And so, as you know, Joseph had to go back to his hometown of Bethlehem to register. Now, again, I'm sure a lot of you could continue to say this story as well. But because there was no room at the end when they showed up, they resorted to a glorified barn, and Jesus was born in a manger. Now, after, after his birth, this, this star appeared, right? Um, the, spot, the star appeared to how many wise men? Okay, good job. Three wise men, a magi from the east. And basically the star guided them to where this baby would be born. This child would be born, but not just any child, the Messiah. The Messiah, the one who they'd been waiting for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so these three wise men would bring gifts fitted for a king. And that's what they did because he was the king of kings. He was Jesus, the light of the world. Now, if you were to read uh, the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you would find some similarity in style. Matthew and Luke, uh, I was kind of looking at this, they kind of share the actual story of the birth. But when you get into John, um, it's a little bit different. The writing style is different. And he doesn't just account for the story of the birth of Jesus. He more so reflects on the significance of the birth of Jesus. And so what I would love to do just for the next uh, few minutes is I would invite all of us to reflect on the significance of Jesus. And I love the verse that we're going to start with um, from the Gospel of John. And he writes this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And kind of like the reporter uh, way back in, in 1882 in that small group of people, the few who actually stood by the manger, Mary, Joseph, and the Magi, and the shepherds, they knew that they were experiencing something special, something remarkable, something so miraculous. The light had shown itself in a way it had never done before. A light that was Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. A light that would overcome, would not be overcome by darkness. A light that would change the course of human history. And so fast forward a a little over 30 years later, um, I, I love this account. Jesus is actually teaching in the temple during what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And basically, it was a huge component of the feast for them to do a a pretty special lighting of the candle in the temple courts. And this was extremely symbolic, okay? Because early on in Israel's history, they found themselves wandering around, lost and in the desert. And God showed up and led them out through a pillar of a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night, And the candles were a reminder of God leading them out of the wilderness. The candles were lit as a reminder of God's faithfulness. And in the midst of that celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, probably even with, I have to think, with the candles lit behind him, Jesus actually says this to the Jews and the Pharisees alike. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To all who were there at the feast, he says, hey, just like the fire that God sent to guide you then, he's actually sent me the light of the world to guide you now. And whoever follows me, whoever surrenders their life to follow me, whoever surrenders their way to, to, for my way, whoever lives by my com, uh, commands, whoever confesses me as Savior, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what light does. It dispels darkness. Light obliterates darkness. In fact, the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. See, friends, I I want you to get this, that Jesus dispels the darkness of uselessness with the light of purpose. He dispels the darkness of fear with the light of peace. He dispels the darkness of shame with the light of forgiveness. He dispels the darkness of brokenness with the light of restoration, the darkness of tragedy with the light of hope. The darkness of our sin with the light of the gospel. Jesus dispels the darkness of death with the light of life. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, will not, and will never overcome it. And that's what makes this, in my opinion, the most wonderful time of the year. Not Michael Buble Christmas, however pretty great. Not sugar cookies, not the hustle and bustle, the lights, the sounds, the decor, the presents, the Christmas carols. What makes it the most wonderful time of the year is that we celebrate, cherish, and hold on to the fact because the first Christmas, what the first Christmas light showed us is that it showed itself in a way that we had never before seen. And it changed everything. And it changed everyone for forever. Jesus the light of the world was born. 
And whoever follows him, whoever gives their life to him, will never walk in darkness. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Because the light of the world came. You've probably heard that before. Some of you have heard that before, that Jesus is the light of the world. But here's what I would, I would compel you to think about. Whether you find yourself in a relationship with Jesus or not. As you kind of sift through the next few weeks, you know, you, you've heard that before. Hey, Jesus is the light of the world. But is he the light of your world? Is he the light of your world? Is he the one that you follow or want to follow? Is he the one that you actually hope in or maybe you're considering hoping in? Is he the one that you actually surrender to? Is he the one that you look to when you can't bear to look at anything else that's going on around you? Is Jesus the light of your world? Because he wants to be. He wants to be. 